Over the years, many have speculated as to the identity of the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of the Bitcoin white paper. From Craig Wright to Hal Finney, we've entertained many a notion of who this brilliant and elusive genius really is. And today we may have finally found the answer. Ivy McLemore is a journalist who's been hot on the trail of Satoshi. The trail has led him to a British man whose name we will reveal in this episode. Ivy methodically provides all of the verifiable facts and data surrounding his research in a new book titled Finding Satoshi. And today we've got him on the show to discuss this controversial topic. Are you ready to examine the evidence for yourself? We're just the conduit for the messenger on episode number 624 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. We are Joel Toshi Travamoto. How are you? That is true. And today we found Satoshi. Maybe. Dude, he, he was hanging out in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> he's there with John McAfee and a few other people. Yeah, he's, he's actually there with John McAfee and, and Epstein. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is some fascinating stuff. I'm going to say we have talked to a number of people on the show who, you know, either claimed or have speculated as to the nature of Satoshi Nakamoto. And this book is the most in-depth guide I've ever seen for determining who this person is. Very in-depth. And it's somebody you've probably never heard of before. I would almost bet money you hadn't heard of this dude before. His name is Is Bob Smith. Never heard that name. (laughs) Yeah, it's Jimmy. Jimmy Jones. Uh, I'm the inventor of Bitcoin. It's me, Jimmy Jones. It's Travis. There we go. We we found him. <laughs> there he is. So um, Ivy is very credible, and the book is incredibly well sourced. And we're going to get to our interview with him right about now. The speculation about who. The anonymous Satoshi Nakamoto is has been going on for years. Of course, we have had Craig Wright on this show before to tell us why he is fake to say Satoshi. And uh, many people say that he is a scammer and he has not. We have speculated many times, Travis, at uh, others who might be Mr. Mrs. or uh, they Nakamoto's. And, yeah. Yeah, we we don't know, but we have with us a gentleman who claims to know, who has had conversations and who has done extensive research. His name is Ivy McLemore. He's an award-winning reporter, editor, corporate communications professional, and author of a new nonfiction book called Finding Satoshi, the real story behind mysterious Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto. Ivy, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Thank you, Joel. It's a pleasure to be with you and Travis today. Yeah. And we, you know, look, I've I've looked at the book and I can say this. First of all, you're a good writer. Like, you know, just as I'm 
reading them. This is this is not your first rodeo. And uh, reading your bio, I see you come from a writing journalist family. Um, and two, this is incredibly well sourced. I mean, there are just pages and pages and pages of references here for people to check this out for themselves. So maybe uh, the first question I want to hit you up is maybe just give us a little bit of your personal background in journalism so we know where you've come from and, and you know, how seriously do you take journalistic integrity? Well, I'll answer the last question first. I think journalistic integrity is, is preeminent. You know, it's, it, you've got to have it. And the real reason I took the task of writing this book is I wanted to check the facts and uh, spent over two years researching it. And I wanted the truth to be known. And my background comes from, my father was with the Associated Press. I started with him when I was 16. Went to work for a now defunct newspaper, the Houston Post, stayed there 14 years. Wrote a lot of news stories, a lot of breaking news. And, um, and then went into corporate communications with what was then known as AIM Investments and is now known as Invesco. And then went to work at Guggenheim for Scott Minard, um, who you may have heard of. He's made a lot of Bitcoin predictions. But um, the only reason that I wrote this book is I felt that it was the truth needed to be told. And I have really sourced it well because I know that every word I write will be parsed. And I want it to be. I have nothing to hide. Very good. Yeah, so you're looking through the book here, and there are a lot of different potential people who over the years have, you know, there's been speculation that they are Satoshi Nakamoto. And then, uh, you know, in your book, you have a list of the suspects. And, you know, a lot of people starting right there at the very beginning, Gavin Andreessen, he's one of the people who uh, was potentially, you know, he, he wrote a lot of the early code for it. You know, Satoshi basically left, uh, you know, Gavin the, uh, the code and said, you're in, you're in charge of Bitcoin for the most part. You're Bitcoin's co-pilot. And uh, there's other ones, Adam, Adam Back. There's a, and then we have some other ones that we've actually had conversations about here on the show. We've talked about this criminal mastermind, Paul LaRue, who was a early uh, creator of uh, encryption, right? And some of the some of the code that Bitcoin's based on. There's also some that maybe Sergey Nazarov is Satoshi. And then also maybe the NSA, the American government created this. So maybe where did you start whenever you went back in and you started to do go down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin, like, and you're trying to figure out, first of all, you got to figure out what is Bitcoin and then you go who created it. So how did your journey start with, with uh, going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole? <laughs> well, it's very unusual. In uh, May of 2019, my small firm responded to a, a blind cryptocurrency ad on Upwork, which needed someone to reveal an identity and someone to promote a new product. And I was very leery of that because of, you know, the pump and dump schemes that are out there. Um, and the uh, individual who communicated me used the cryptonym Cisrus. And we Skyped for a few weeks. And, you know, I just said, look, I'm not going to go to sign a contract with anybody who I've never met or don't know his true identity. And so I said, finally, I said, look, I'll fly anywhere in the world at my expense if your guy can prove to me that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. So in July of 2019, I took a flight out to Doncaster, England and spent hours 
with a gentleman who identified himself, a very, very introverted individual who identified himself as James Kahn. And for the next seven months, um, we communicated and we made an attempt to reveal him in August of 2019. He was and, great in The Godfather, by the way. I mean, yeah. it's just, Sonny! Well, he, um, he picked that name because he thought he was the godfather of uh, cryptocurrency or something to that effect. It's in the book. But anyway, um, you know, I knew that the number one thing to do at that time, you know, Bitcoin was in 2019, at the time I was having these conversations, Bitcoin was only worth about $6,000. And the big button to push was always move your Bitcoins. And um, that may have made, made sense at that time. And I was probably fighting a, a, a no-win battle at that time, but I haven't spoken to this man in three years. Um, he kind of disappeared from the scene, much as Satoshi did in 2010 from Bitcoin. Um, but every day I dealt with this. As a former journalist, I kept asking myself, why is this not conceivably true? He never, to my knowledge, never lied to me, never contradicted himself, was never evasive, but he also wasn't quick to venture information that I didn't ask about. And I think that goes back to his introvertedness. So um, let me get back to the lost Bitcoins or the Bitcoins. Let me ask you gentlemen this. If you're Satoshi and you still have your 1 million Bitcoins, What's the best way to get into the Guinness book for the stupidest financial decision of all time? Not selling at 69,000 last November or not buying at 17,000 last month. It's no longer a question of whether he lost his Bitcoins or not. Chainalysis figures that Satoshi has lost his Bitcoins someone would have had to move those coins. And if he died, there would have to be a will. Um, so so uh, James Kahn told me he lost his Bitcoins in a hard drive accident. And surprisingly to me, even brought the laptops one day when we went to Doncaster, we went three different times. Okay, j just to be clear here, because you brought the name up several times, you are saying a gentleman, a British gentleman by the name of James Kahn, C-A-A-N, just like um, the actor, but not the actor, is Satoshi Nakamoto. This is, this is the claim. This is the conclusion that you come to and that you write about in your book. I will say that the information I present, and it, there's a lot of information about James Kahn. And by the way, he's a native of Pakistan, but uh, happens to reside in the UK. If any objective individual, by taking in all the information, would have to reach the conclusion that he's far and away the most likely candidate. And one of the reasons I researched everybody else, including just about everybody that you've mentioned on this podcast, is that I wanted to make sure that nobody had, uh, you know, a better chance or let's say was more a logical choice of Satoshi Nakamoto, and nobody is even close. And what I do is very objectively, such as Dorian Nakamoto, I was very objective, but you know, the chances of him being the real Satoshi Nakamoto are a million to one. But there's a reason that 
that guy became involved in this in a very unusual way when Newsweek ran its story on him in 2014. Mm. So I'm reading a quote by, by him, by the, uh, by the name James Bilal Khalid Khan, claims mm -hmm. to be the founder of Bitcoin. And this is something, that, an article that came out on, uh, on looks like on Bitcoin.com back in the day, 2019. Said, he said this, uh, on December 17, 2017, Bitcoin reached its historical peak of $19,783, meaning my 980,000 Bitcoins. He says Bitcoins, but they normally they say Bitcoins. I don't know. There's a, there's a flag for me. Would have been worth more than $19 billion. And uh, he goes 19 billion 387 million 398,800 to be precise. Uh, to this day, the memory of recalling all this information is very painful. I cannot forgive myself all these years. Now, the very reason I left Bitcoin is the reason for my comeback, as I have accepted the truth and will try to make Bitcoin better. So here's the guy. He says he's lost his Bitcoin because if you have 980 million and 980,000 Bitcoins, right? Like there's some governments who want who want to have access to some of that and like, oh, I've lost it. So that could be, you know, a, a BS story if he lost it. But if he did lose it, like, oh, my goodness, that's way more than the 55 Bitcoin that I lost. <laughs> well, he's such an introvert that he didn't even tell his wife Zada that he was Satoshi Nakamoto until their eighth year of marriage. They were married in October of 2010. And... Um, you know, certainly there are a lot of opinions on who Satoshi, if you go through all the names that are in the book, there's only one person um, who really claims that he's Satoshi, and that's Craig Wright. And uh, right after this book was published, uh, Craig posted a message on my LinkedIn site saying, Ivy McLemore, you are a con man, and we will follow up in time with first a civil case and your bankruptcy. Then we will push criminal charges. Craig Wright well, said this to you? Oh, yes. It's on my LinkedIn site now. You can go see it. And you can see where he's clearly identified with his photo there. Craig S. Wright, chief scientist at Enchain and investor of yeah. Bitcoin and yada, yada, yada. There's no doubt in my mind that he sent it. Um, but he really, that's quite a response. Has he ever responded to anybody else that way who claimed that they're Satoshi or that he's not Satoshi? Not that I'm aware of. And has he followed up? Has there been a case filed? Uh, has he written anything else about it? You no, know, has, has he, he said he was going to, you know, sue you basically. Well, um, that's all I've heard from either Craig Wright or any representative he might have. So but no charges. He's not brought any charges against you. <laughs> well, not yet, but the truth is the ultimate defense. And he can call the CIA the uh, FBI, even the Avengers. And I'll maintain that everything in that book is not just true. It's all the statements are provably true. There's really a couple of interesting parts of the book that I think that your listeners really find interesting. One is that um, James Conn and I got into a contentious Skype texting debate um, it was either late July or early August of 2019, um, because I kept pushing him for information that would help prove he was Satoshi. He couldn't produce the Bitcoins. That was going to be a red flag. And he told me, and I've got these quotes on record, that he said, 
if we're just trying to prove my identity, if we think that's the number one reason to do all this, he said, then we've lost already. The big reason is because he wanted to come back. He was very concerned that he didn't do all he could on Bitcoin, that it kind of went in a direction he didn't want it to. Um, and so why would somebody say that uh, if, if they didn't mean it? And the other thing is that we, used, we wrote a weekly newsletter that we called a Satoshi Nakamoto newsletter, and it went out in September and October and November of 2019, and we had about 20,000 subscribers. And one of the rules was that my colleague, Michael Jones, would draft the newsletter based on information from Satoshi. I would read it and edit it, send it to Satoshi. He'd send it back with his approval or edits and would go from there and distribute it, right? Well, I uh, changed one word or added one word to the newsletter that said that Satoshi Nakamoto lost his Bitcoins late in 2010. Because I mistakenly thought that he had lost them sometime around the famous October 3rd, 2010 post by Satoshi that said, um, you should never, uh, I think it was, you should never delete a Bitcoin or should never do something. And it said, sigh in parentheses. But no, uh, James was frantic to reach me Monday morning and ask if the newsletter had already gone out. And I said, no, it hasn't. And I knew it had to be <laughs> an emergency because he actually called me on my iPhone. And you can count the number of times he did that on one hand in seven months. He said, Ivy, you've got to delete the word late. He said, I, I don't know exactly. I don't remember because I've tried to forget. But I know it wasn't late in 2010. And we must be truthful and accurate at all times. Why would you do that? when nobody in the world could possibly know the difference. Well, I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of reasons. I mean, people, um, there are crazy people out in the world, right? We can agree on this. So I'm less interested in, you know, circumstantial uh, kind of uh, ideas like this of uh, why would somebody do that as to the actual facts, the data that you've got in your book that points to why this is him. And so, uh, by the way, it's funny because as I'm looking through the names here, Travis, uh, one of the names that's listed here um, of somebody who's claimed to, you know, perhaps be Satoshi was Jorg Molt, uh, who scammed his way wow. onto a panel um, at World Crypticon in 2018, I believe. And uh, Ken Bosak called him out on video as a scammer. Well, Trav, here's what we don't know in the book here. It says he was arrested in July of last year by um, Bavarian police for defrauding 50 investors of more than $2 million. So I don't know the state of Jorg now, if he's uh, behind bars or if the case wow. is gone, but I just thought that, that th this book is incredibly comprehensive. I mean, whether you've nailed it or not, gang, um, you need to go pick up a copy of this on Amazon because this is some real thorough journalism here. Well, Joel, you're very kind, and uh, I appreciate it because I'm a professional. I'm not a hobbyist writer. You know, I'm not doing this on a whim. Um, I'm doing this because, for example, James Conson had a press release in March of 2016 announcing that he had created a NERCA coin, and it was really to protect against lost wallets. 
And that's exactly what was in the press release. It's still available online, dated March of um, 2016. See, if you take all the pieces that are in the book, they fit snugly. And I would um, tell anybody that if they find some mistake in the book or something they find that is absolutely positively incorrect, let me know. I'll give you a hint. I found one and I'll put the blame on myself. I mistakenly said that, you know, the Bitcoins are going to run out in 20, 2040 instead of 2140. Well, I knew it was 2140, but the proofreaders obviously weren't familiar with that. And I know exactly what happened. I'd been typing 2022 too much and 2040 just came out of the typewriter. <laughs> so that's why that is incorrect, but it'll be changed in subsequent versions. Well, unlike mainstream media, when they, uh, they make a mistake, they bury it, you know, on the back page. Uh, they'll ne they'll never correct their fake headlines. Um, they just they make their amendment and their correction and they bury it. One of the things that the book says too is that, um, and this is the I've never seen this printed anywhere. But Hal Finney and Dorian Nakamoto lived in Temple City, California. That out seen printed within about yeah. a mile and a half each other. But I've never seen their actual addresses printed, and I put them in the book because I'm not doxing anybody. Both parties have long since left their addresses in uh, Temple City, but 53 Ote Zadell Avenue and 9170 Bidwell Street. James Kahn says it was actually Hal who gave him the Nakamoto surname because um, he was only using the name Satoshi in the early years when he was communicating um, on the crypto um, on the crypto list that Hal was on. And um, Hal Finney said, Satoshi who? Satoshi Nakamoto? That explains to me why Newsweek, if you put that together with everything else in the book, it explains why Newsweek used only 32 words from that gentleman and went with a cover story that I go into great detail about, as a matter of fact. But the book I wrote has 16,000 words, either spoken and or written by James Kahn. So that's 500 times the evidence. Mm. So how did, how did uh, uh, James Kahn, uh, this guy, how did he meet Hal Finney? Because Hal Finney is one of the key figures in early Bitcoin, as most people would know. And so how did that relationship grow and, and, and how were they connected? Because it seemed like he really trusted Hal Finney because all those original transactions were through Hal Finney. Um, you know, back and forth. So what was their relationship? Well, the relationship was that um, James Kahn was about 14 or 15 years old when he started. Really? Using the, no, not when he met Hal, but when he started using the um, a cryptography mailing list that was created in about 92 or 93. Um, and Hal Finney was, you know, on there. And so was Nick Zabo for that matter. Right. But in about 2000, he's, Khan said he couldn't tell me exactly because he couldn't remember. But in about 2004, he started communicating with um, Hal Finney because he was impressed with our power, you know, reusable proof of work, which uh, Hal came up with at that time. But he didn't actually communicate. Um, I don't know if it was 2004, 2005. It's in the book is when he started. Uh but that's when Finney said, Satoshi who? Satoshi Nakamoto? And it's pretty clear to me, based on what Khan told me, I think how Finney helped a lot more out on Bitcoin 
that he's than he's ever been given credit for. And uh, another thing is that when I was talking with Khan one day, um, and I have the Skype text, he was telling me information, and he said, "Well, you notice that one name I haven't mentioned is Sirius, meaning Marty Malmy." He said, "And the reason for that, you know, I." I have my questions about him now, and I'll go over that with you later. I never ask him about it again. So what was his problem with Sirius? That'd be a good question to ask, too. Uh, you know, when we get emails all the time, daily from people, and, and of course, there have been many claiming to know who Satoshi is or claiming to be Satoshi. And usually I roll my eyes and tell you know Trav, <laughs> all right, we got another kook burger. <laughs> and so my first, you know, inclination was to go, hey, we got another cook burger, but let's look at it and see what this guy has to say. As I am going through this book, I am actually stunned at the 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 angles that you're taking for proofs. I mean, um, you've got domain name registrations and you break down you know, why this makes sense that Bitcoin.org was registered by him. You've got um, how James talks and how Satoshi writes, comparing uh, British English and British slang. You've got numerology and uh, all these uh, these systems, uh, universal language of numbers, how it everything kind of makes sense. Now, look, I think you can make anything attempt to fit a preconceived notion, but I just want to say right here, right now, I don't think you're a kook burger. <laughs> I, I know your wife would disagree. <laughs> well, okay. That's, that's probably not untrue, but I'm just, I'm t talk a little bit about numerology and why that's important uh, to James and how that fits in with, uh, you know, him being the originator of Bitcoin. Well, it says in the book, it says uh, James told me that he always has thought himself as a misfit in society. And um, the uh, uh, gentleman that I was, who I never met, Cisrus, who that was the cryptonym used on Skype. And I didn't, you know, this went on for two months before I actually met James Kahn. And I had, um, you know, had a lot of interesting uh, Skype information changes with Cisrus. But one thing that he had never mentioned to me was numerology. And so when I met Khan that first day in Doncaster, I mean, I'm sorry, in Manchester, England, he lives in Doncaster, but I met him in Manchester. Um, he brought up numerology and how he had several examples of how there were encryptions made because of numerology, the encryptions he made in Bitcoin. And the book has a zillion examples and for some reason, at an early age, he fell in love with numerology. And, um, you know, some people believe in it. That's great. Some people don't, kind of like horoscopes, right, which I don't necessarily believe in. But I reached the conclusion that it really wasn't what I believed in that mattered. It's what he believed in. And he was very, very, very into Chaldean numerology. And, yeah, you can say, ah, I don't know if I believe all that. But there are so many examples, you couldn't concoct these after the fact. Um, and the book, the book goes into many examples of why this is the case. Um, and that's just one, one of the things. Another thing that I think is very interesting is, I don't know if you're familiar with a media outlet called the Chain Bulletin. They're in Europe. 
And a gentleman with that publication did some independent research in November of 2020. And it was picked up, the findings were picked up by a lot of different media and run. And he gave three reasons why he thought the real Satoshi lived in London when the time Bitcoin was being created. Well, two of the reasons I threw out all automatically. Um, one was timestamps because, um, you know, those can be fudged so easily. Another was um, writing style, not necessarily as much as the, you know, British versus English usage, but, um, you know, some of the things that in stylometry have looked into that have pinpointed about four or five different people as being Satoshi. But the real, real important part of that research was the fact that the um, headline that Satoshi encrypted on uh, January 3rd, 2009 in um, the Genesis block, that headline had to come from that day's print, UK print edition of the Times. The international headline would have been different. And because after all, it's a different uh, circulation area. And the website had a different headline. And furthermore, the day I met Khan, he said, oh, I pulled that out of the, the, time, the print edition of the Times that day. Mm. And so again, if I tried to, to put in this book only three examples, oh, I'd be an idiot. But chapter 17 has 42 different um, bits of information, uh, bits of circumstantial evidence um, that lead me to believe there's nobody else who could possibly be the guy. And maybe Craig Wright thinks so too, or he wouldn't have sent me such a threatening message on LinkedIn. Mm. So this is, this is very fascinating. It's something that I, you know, we have a version of the PDF. I'm going to actually pick up a, uh, a hard copy of this because I want to dive into this more. It's going to be interesting to sort of understand because here's a guy I've never heard of. Like, have you heard of this guy before? Khalid, Balil Khalid, Joel? No, no, never, never have. And uh, this is the most comprehensive research. There's even pictures of the laptop in here. I I'm wondering how, how did he, uh, it does make sense that, you know, Trav, if, uh, if you didn't move any of your Bitcoin at all, you know, it's probably because you lost them, right? Well, uh, it was it was a couple of it was a couple of thoughts. Was that he realized that my thought was okay. He realized that it was going. He's going to step away and let it do its thing because if it does do its thing, like it looks like it's on its way, he's going to be a very rich man down the road. Or there was the Paul Larue idea was that oh well, he's that's about the same time he got arrested, right? And so he's not going to touch his bitcoins because he's in prison. The other one is, is maybe he lost his Bitcoin, but then you would think he's freaking Satoshi Nakamoto, right? He's the dude who invented Bitcoin. And he, how, how would he not have a backup for his, for his Bitcoin, right? But to this day, those Bitcoins still haven't been touched. My question to him would have been this. Uh, okay, you lost 980 million Bitcoin or 980,000 Bitcoins. That sucks. But why did he just keep mining? Like, that was still really early. Like, so many people hadn't found they, 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 He'd still be ridiculously wealthy. Did he just step away 100% from Bitcoin and say, just F it? Or did he stay in and was mining some? Or why, why did he just totally walk away? Well, you have to keep in mind that the guy's an introvert. So, um, I mean, an extreme introvert. And 
I don't know that I ever asked him why he walked away. I think he told me, as I recall, that he was devastated. I mean, he didn't even want to communicate with Hal Finney anymore because um, he said, Hal's going to think that I'm a Muppet, which means a pretender or a dummy. And uh, he says, and I've fed, I let everybody down with Bitcoin. And, um, and then, you know, he'd already met his future wife. They were going to get married in October of that year. And he told me, yeah, Gavin Andreessen's um, uh, decision to go meet with the CIA in early 2011, he said that had a minor factor in my decision to walk away. But he said, my mind was made up well before then. And he was very candid with me. He contemplated suicide over the lost Bitcoins. Um, it, it took that introvert and pushed him far more into the introverted column. Well, wait a and, second. Uh, so he, has, he still has the laptop. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. well, there's other people who've said, well, give us your, you know, screwed up hard drive and we'll be able to help you, you know, recover your stuff. So he's, is he not? <laughs> it's, it's not in there, though. Maybe, Ivy, go ahead and talk a little bit about the story of how did he lose that hard drive? He had two different laptops, both of which are photographed. And I was stunned uh, the day in 2019 when he told me he still had those laptops. I didn't ask him about him, didn't think he'd still have them. But that's one of the few things he offered uh, independently. And he had deleted a file, the file from the uh, Fujitsu laptop. And then, then the, um, the Acer laptop had a blank screen when he woke up one morning. He'd been mining on that one. And it had an encrypted, um, it was military encrypted. Uh, but he wasn't the richest guy in the world when he was creating Bitcoin. And um, it had a warranty um, with Curry's. So he, someone from Curry's came out, picked up the laptop. And um, as it turned out, <laughs> Curry's replaced the hard drive without telling him and bend it. Oh. And, um, oh, there's a three or four pages in there that they'd be hilarious if they weren't so um, unfortunate, you know. And um, one of the guy on the other end of the phone at Curry said, I've never heard a guy complain so much for getting a free hard drive from us. Um, but there's no doubt because that was one of the toughest things for him to talk about during those seven months. Mm. It was very painful for him. And wouldn't it be for anyone? I cry about my 55 Bitcoin sometimes. I can't even imagine <laughs> 80,000 of them. I'm paying and, just in the story. And, and, you know, um, I'll say this to whoever wants to visit the finding Satoshi book com website, they can send me uh, via email any question they want, um, and I'll do my best to answer it, because I'm not trying to withhold anything here. Uh, I'm not somebody who pretends to be Satoshi and just says I am to ride the headlines or ride the gravy train. Um, and keep in mind, no one who's ever claimed to be Satoshi or no one who's ever been fingered as Satoshi has ever said, gee, I lost my Bitcoins. So Craig Wright hasn't said he lost them. And he can't Satoshi, I lost my Bitcoins. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why? The dog okay, ate my homework. He, 
he went into, you know, quiet mode and then he decided that he was going to speak with you and then he disappeared again. Why why isn't this a bigger story? Is are there do you feel like this is something the media doesn't want to touch? Are they happier with it being a mystery? Do they think that, you know, this is crazy? Why why isn't there more noise around this? Well, Joel, I think it, it comes down to this, and this is just conjecture on my part, that um, I think there have been so many people try to go down the Satoshi Trail over the years um, that I think they're kind of, they've developed kind of a callous attitude toward it. You know, like if it hadn't been proven by now, who's going to prove it? That may be one part of it. I think another is there's a large part of the um, online uh, Bitcoin and crypto world who loves to write stories on maybe this guy could be Satoshi. Maybe that guy could be Satoshi because it's a great clickbait. Here's why Bitcoin never would have been successful if it didn't involve money. And if, you know, if I'm the head of Coinbase, the first thing I do is send somebody out to this guy's house in Doncaster, England and say, if you're really the dude, come on out because, uh, <laughs> You know, you'd be worth a lot to my company. It'd be worth a lot to anybody. And you know what? There are people who have said, even if the real Satoshi produced some Bitcoins, they'll say, oh, he stole them. So I don't think anybody, there's a lot of people who will never be satisfied as to what is said. But any objective individual who reads this book, to me, because there's so many different pieces of evidence, it's far and away the most likely candidate. Mm. And that's why I went into detail about all the other candidates. Um, I wanted to be, I wanted to compare and contrast. So uh, some of this news came out in 2019, but people were just kind of nonplussed about it. It's like, it didn't really seem to impress people. I think probably because we're like, yeah, yeah, here's another joker saying that, he, that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. Everybody's always like, move the freaking Bitcoins, move your Bitcoins. If you're Satoshi, move the Bitcoins. Uh, and then there's that whole comment around the uh, the B the BCCI, right. which, which the initials or that thing is like, what was it? Uh, I, I saw an article around that where it said the bit. It basically spelled out Bitcoin. And uh, um, let me see if I can find that article again. It said that he it spelled out what is it? Oh yeah. Uh, Bank of Credit and Commerce International. And then if you look at like B-I-T-C-O-I-N, and then Charlie Lee responded, yeah, and when I was creating Litecoin, I was looking at Lime Tea Company Incorporated and I saw Litecoin. Like, so people were mocking him in the story, but you've dove in, you've gone in deep on this and you've put together a whole lot of evidence that says, in your mind, having, having gone through all that evidence, you think, without a shadow of a doubt, you think he's the inventor of Bitcoin? Has to be. And, you know, uh, maybe uh, Travis or Joel, you could tell me if you've ever seen or read anything as in-depth on this topic as the book that I've just written. I haven't seen it. And um, I wrote it not taking sides. You know, I didn't write it to anoint James Kahn. I wrote it to show that the information, the objective information that I gathered to me makes James Kahn far and away the leading subject. It's up to others to be on the jury, 
but um, they've seen the evidence I presented. They can vote accordingly. Well, on, on that note, we're going to uh, thank you for your time and encourage people to go into the show notes for this episode uh, for the links to uh, the website, which, of course, is findingsatoshibook.com. There's a link there to Amazon, or you can just click from the show notes. You'll find it there. Uh, it deserves to be read by more people, and, and, and you guys decide. I mean, uh, yeah. Ivy's approach is here, here's the evidence, uh, you know, uh, and if there's something wrong, tell me what's wrong. And then what's the verdict based yeah. on this? My, my thought was after having dove through a lot of the things that I had dove through, you know, in my own sort of research, you know, looking at the original NSA white paper, how to mint you know, how to, how to make a mint, the cryptography of anonymous electronic cash. And there was somebody there who's the name of Tatsuaka Akimoto, right, which was mostly based on the work of David Chom, uh, who invented DigiCash. And so it's like, to me, like, there's some really strong origins there. And, um, you know, so I've always kind of thought, eh, it's probably the NSA. If it's not the NSA, then I don't know, I, the Paul LaRue thing made sense because of his background in cryptography, but you've gone in, Ivy, and you've connected domain name registers, you've connected the, um, the numerology and why he released certain things on certain dates, and this new story about how his hard drive got replaced, like, that's an interesting thing, like why he would give somebody a say, hey, could you take my computer and fix it, and here's, there's 900 and 80,000 Bitcoin on there that I've not backed up yet. And then like that, that seems a little wonky, but um, it's definitely an interesting story. Well, I just ordered the, the main copy of the book, a hard hardbound copy so I can have it on my shelf so I can dive through it and, and take some notes on it. So it's definitely interesting. Uh, it's a theory we've not heard before. Well, gentlemen, I really uh, greatly appreciate you having me on and um, I'll be glad to answer any questions anybody has. I'm not going to walk away from it because I know the book is fully truthful. Well, we would love to, you know, I, I, he's he's quiet again, right? James is not talking to anybody. He's gone into silent mode. Well, the reason I don't know that he's not talking to anybody, but the reason I haven't reached out to him is I didn't want anybody to accuse me of setting this whole thing up. Uh, I have not spoken with the man um, in any way since uh, January of 2020. Of course, COVID hit and other things happened, but um, he went back into his reclusive mode. Um mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, there are videos out there that we shot in New York in October of 2019 where he appears on them as Satoshi Nakamoto. He can't deny it. The toothpaste is out of the tube. Are those on YouTube? They are. No, it's in the toothpaste. It's out of the tube. On That's YouTube. it. The tube. <laughs> no, I didn't think of that line. I should have. Now, actually, so Vitalik Buterin in 2011 was talking about, um, he, he commented, he thought, so somebody had made a comment on, uh, on Bitcoin.org and uh, it said, this is probably one of the major reasons Satoshi left, uh, uh, never let anybody know who he was. I wouldn't be surprised if he was an American working for the NSA, specializing in cryptography. Then he got sick of the government's monetary, monetary policies inside to create Bitcoin. And then uh, Vitalik replied, or the NSA itself decided to create Bitcoin. Things as big as megacorps and governments work against themselves all the time. I wouldn't be too surprised if the NSA has some part in at least supporting it. Neither would I. I also have seen, you know, like the the uh, the, the magazine, The Economist, right, in 2000, in 1989 or something, 
had a cover of basically what kind of looked like Bitcoin. And, you know, the economist is owned by the Rothschild family. And it's just like, well, we knew some of this digital money was coming eventually. I'm, I would be surprised if they didn't have their hands in creating it somehow. Did, did you ask him any questions about if he worked with any government organizations at all? Did he, did he fess up to any of that? I asked him, this was years ago, obviously in 2019, and he said he never worked with any government. I think the a determining factor here is that, you know, both of you have dealt with um, who might be Satoshi for years, and everybody wants to venture opinions. Oh, it might be this person, might be that person for this reason or that reason. But I chose to deal with facts, and that's what the book does. It's not based on opinion. It's based on fact. And that's the difference. Well, there you go, gang. Check it out for yourself. The uh, the book Finding Satoshi available on Amazon.com. You can go to FindingSatoshiBook.com to learn more. And uh, thanks, Ivy, for doing the, the homework on this and for coming on to share with us today. Joel and Travis, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Compelling stuff, huh, Sir Lord Travis? Very compelling, sir. Very you know, if I wasn't such an extreme introvert, you know, like I am, I might have, I might have also created Bitcoin. Mm. But I created Bitcoin, a bunch of bits of it the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's so many directions to go with that. And I don't want to go any of them. <laughs> You're probably smart about that. You leave me directionless. That's um, good. That was a fascinating yeah. interview. And yeah. I don't use that word lightly. Normally we say, cool great interview but that yeah. was fascinating like what? when you take an investigative journalist with the credibility that ivy has and the years of doing it right he was he was in the era before fake news mm -hmm. he was like when actually journalists did journalizing and nizing and uh it's good which by the way speaking of fake news i don't know if you saw this but npr national public public radio the mouthpiece for the government has announced on Twitter that they are creating a disinformation board. Oh my gosh, the ratio on this. Like oh, NPR said this? <laughs> yes. You know, wow. since the government failed to do it straight out, let's just use one of the, you know, government. But come on, branches. they've been doing it by proxy by freaking Facebook and Twitter and stuff yeah. for the last who knows how long. And you know, people are waking up now though. It's like, you they know are. what? It's like People, there, more and more people. There's a, there's about, there's almost. We are really close. I think, I think we're on the precipice of a mass awakening. Because I do we too. See all the stuff that's going on, all these major protests that are going on. But you know, there's these huge protests that were going on in Sri Lanka because they went bankrupt, and now the World Economic Forum is saying, "Hey, you got to download this app and give us and, and upload your ID, and then you can get gas." So it's like the bankrupting of these countries and then the World Economic Forum comes in. It's like, hey, we're going to help save you. And then what happens when people are freaking starving and have no money? They're going to they comply. Yeah, so it's really weird. We're in a weird time, folks. It is very bizarre. But regardless, we are here for it. And we thank you for listening and or watching. Well, you can't really watch the show. There's no video for it. You can like look at your podcast player while listening to us. That's as close as you can get to watching this right now and uh, make sure you do subscribe and tell a friend and perhaps give us a five-star review if you are so inclined to do so and you are so inclined i'm not inclined that was a that was a suggestion 
It was a oh. hypnotic suggestion. You will give Bad Crypto Podcast five stars and mention corn in your review. You will give crypto a bad review. And you will write in there somewhere. Stay bad. Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. I had corn on the cob the other day. I actually went to my mom's house, yeah. went to Kansas City, and uh, took my daughter to uh, Poison Motley Crue and uh, Def Leppard. And then actually, what was crazy was I actually had tickets that I bought in 2019, Joel, because mm. of the pandemic. And then I couldn't find them because it was on a place like I never bought tickets since the, since the game was at Royal Stadium, you know, where the, where the Kansas City Royals play. Mm-hmm. Uh, MLB.tickets was where the tickets were. So I was like, Ticketmaster, StubHub, Tickets for Less, Vivid C. I was like, where the hell did I buy these? Like, I know that I, these are my accounts. And so the ones that I bought in 2019, I couldn't find them. So I bought, so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to buy some. And I bought some additional tickets during the bull run, right? When we were all flush with cash. I was like, all right, I'm going to get some good seats. So I got some good seats. Then I couldn't find those because they went to the same black hole that those freaking other tickets went. Uh, if so, only maybe, they had been NFTs. Right. And I know exactly where they were. They were in my wallet. But what was crazy about it was uh, I found the tickets when I was flying back, found the other tickets, too. So then my son got to come along. and He brought one of his friends and um, it was great. They all got to see some boobs at Motley Crue because Tommy Lee summons the boobs. <laughs>